0: Excellent stuff. Cool. Well, I'm delighted to welcome Pardeep Jahal to the podcast today. Thank you very much for joining me, Pardeep. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really well. Thanks, Johnny. Thank you for having me. How are you?
0: Really good. Thanks very much. Um, So we've got some really interesting topics to discuss today. um, And it's a slightly different angle. We're we're taking uh, an exploration of the corporate state of mind when it comes to services procurement. Um, I know you've got some great points on this, and there's some really interesting areas that we're looking to cover. Um, but before we get into that, just be good to go through a little bit of your own background. I know you've got uh, you know, very strong sort of corporate heritage when it comes to indirect procurement, but can you just take me through a little bit of your journey um, in the industry and where you started, where you are now, and what the future is likely to hold?
1: Yeah, Sure. So so I actually set off uh, probably 16, 17 years ago uh, out to be a lawyer, but um, like most folks at university, still very unsure. Uh, Because of some of that, um, I guess me being unsure, I did a placement year. uh, And I did a placement year with with AXA when I was at university. Uh, And I remember going to the, uh, the placement office. I looked through the list and there was AXA on there with a procurement placement. Uh, and that was my first introduction and exposure to, to procurement. It was a 12 month placement. Uh, I actually, uh, learned so much about myself and of course about, uh, procurement. Uh, the team was fantastic. Uh, the CPO at the time knows who he is, was, uh, just, just so nurturing for a newbie like me coming out of uh, university or midway through university. So that was my first exposure uh, in, in procurement, it was meant to last 12 months, actually lasted four and a bit years. Oh, wow. uh, and that was the point for me that uh, I decided actually, I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, so I stuck with procurement, uh, was very enjoyable. I loved working with suppliers. I loved the value that we were adding internally within, within the business. And then the next 15 years was me doing multiple procurement roles within large corporates across soil and gas, financial services and FMCG. Uh, and if I kind of look at uh, both ends of my career, the first half I was doing, what I'd like to say is it's probably end-to-end procurement. Uh, so everything from writing the category plans to execution. So leading the RFPs, going through the negotiations, working on the back-end contracts as well, to then my second half of the career, which was, I guess, more around category leadership. Uh, and, and the focus here was taking, you know, a few steps back, taking a three or five year view on, you know, what should this category really look like? What are the developments that are in the market? And then really using transformation, everything that we're seeing within the market in terms of innovation, bringing that back into your organization to then try and help solve some of the business problems that they're facing. Uh, so that's that's a little bit about my career. Then on a personal note, uh, parents are from uh, North India, a place called Punjab. I grew up in London, uh, and uh, I'm currently living with my wife in Woking.
0: Excellent stuff. Uh, thanks very much for that, buddy. That's a really good background there. Just out of interest, with the with regards to the the your procurement career as it started almost uh, by by fortuitous opportunity. How's that been split over that time in terms of like direct versus indirect kind of goods and materials services?
1: Yeah, so so all of it has been indirect procurement uh and i think it's fair to say it's all been non-it with more of a lean towards professional services uh and talent acquisition uh type buying so all labor orientated
0: yeah uh, which is a particularly interesting area at the moment really isn't it i'm sure we'll come on to, to talking about it and uh, and maybe it's a completely separate discussion but just the way that workforces are used the way that you know requirements are resourced it's you know, with COVID and some of the other changes at the moment, there's a, there seems to be a lot going on in that kind of indirect, you know, service based um, procurement area.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, a big part of the reason why, why you and I are talking today, but the, the demand uh, and the focus in how organisations are buying talent today uh, is a huge focus area. I mean, in, in any industry uh, where I speak to friends and colleagues, everyone is talking about this space. Uh, and I think, I think rightfully so. So if we
0: look at, um, if we look at services procurement in particular, um, obviously um, a, an area I'm particularly passionate about, um, and particularly in looking at it in a, on a specific basis, because I've, I believe it has specific characteristics which need to be addressed with, certainly from a technology point of view, but also from a, a procurement management, category management point of view. Um, if we look at the the way that corporates tend to view services procurement, um, which in some cases, you know, it's kind of viewed as a, a great thing because it delivers stuff to the business, but the, the businesses are often a bit confused about what they're getting. And it's, it's a bit of a problem to manage because it's not simple, it's complex. Um, but if you look at the the problems that corporates are specifically trying to address in this area, how would you how would you break down the kind of key areas that the organizations are trying to look at? Yeah,
1: sure. So look, there are a number of different problem statements that, that organizations are, are facing today across all sectors and all geographies. And, and you know, the, the world continuously is throwing uh, new problems. But when I look at this space specifically, and I think about talent and I think about services procurement, there's, there's, there's a few that jump to my mind. And I think about the first big one, which is all about the global skills shortage. There are so many companies today that are all fighting for the same digital talent, and I think uh, when we look at the last eighteen months and we look at everything that we've all been through in terms of COVID, that's just accelerated that demand. Yeah. Um, you know, corporates have to revisit their resourcing models and their resourcing strategies. They they have to do that. Um, you know, you, you touched on, Johnny, the kind of difference between indirect procurement and, um, and, and buying talent and labor, and maybe that was a secondary priority once upon a time. And many organizations were focusing on direct procurement and, and their, their core services, if you like. But actually, what organizations are starting to learn quite quickly is this notion of talent and labor and the capability in order for them to do what they're good at, which might be their core business, whether it's manufacturing or whether it's something else. Uh, has to have a strong, relevant strategy to give them that competitive advantage. So the first piece is definitely around the, the, the skill storage. The second piece is around cost pressures. And, you know, CFOs are still and can, will continue to look at procurement for turnaround solutions. And, you know, how can procurement support the business in strengthening the bottom line? Um, and you know how do, how do procurement and other parts of the business leverage technologies to drive different efficiencies? And again, bringing it back to this space, we start looking at right sourcing and classification, two big parts that are going to impact the, the bottom line for sure.
0: When you say right sourcing, what do you mean by that?
1: So right sourcing for me is around the buying channels that the organisation is using. So if you're trying to buy a contingent worker, and you're putting that contingent worker through a traditional system integrator, that is the wrong buying channel to be using for okay. that service. Uh, so when I talk talk about right sourcing and wrong sourcing, it's going the right way to get the type of uh, goods or service that you're trying to buy.
0: And, and so that kind of ties back to um, a lot of conversations that... Um, that I've had with end clients and intermediaries that are providing services and management consultancies around um, understanding what it is the organization needs to do first, and then working out how to resource that rather than trying to do it a different way round, you know, rather than, rather than kind of getting the, the cart before the horse as it were. So, So with regards to right sourcing, I guess that kind of plays into that in the sense that if you need a contingent worker, Buy it through this channel using this piece of technology, using these set of rules, these contracts, these parameters, um, this budget flow, rather than going off on a tangent. If you need to buy something under a statement of work, go through this channel. Um, is that is that effectively what you're referring to?
1: I think I think that is that is absolutely it. And this this piece for me was uh, specifically around the cost pressures the business is facing. But as you rightly say, Johnny, I agree with with all of those comments because actually the end of it is when you do it the wrong way it costs the company money mm. right and then thirdly we've got to talk about the i guess the need for data right and the reporting obligations continue to increase uh, day by day you know we know about ir35 and the obligations that are being put on to to big corporates but you know you can also look around the globe and you can see how more smaller remote countries are actually increasing uh, and upgrading their, interna- uh, their, their labor laws to more international standards so so the need for reporting will continue and at the moment organizations seem to have a good handle on their their permanent headcount you know how many folks do we have where are they based what's it costing us how long have they been there then you go to your contingent workers and you think actually most organizations have probably been doing this for a while but when you ask the question about uh, all non-payroll employees, that's yeah. the piece where organizations start to really struggle. But actually, the obligation is increasing day by day. So organizations need to get better at that. And that, for me, is another uh, big business problem that organizations are looking at, which brings statement of work and how to buy um, services procurement in a better way, brings it to the, to the forefront.
0: Yeah, um you know it's certainly that type of legislation which is which is not just coming up in this country it's coming up in other countries as well um you know we're constantly seeing on requirements where organizations have to make sure that there aren't for example named individuals in certain countries and and you know it, it, the way an sow is created properly from our point of view because our system only deals with services procured under an sow you can you can push people down a logical track which means you know, it's done correctly from start to finish. But um, yeah, it's the, the fact that the regulatory side of it is putting the pressure on it um, to avoid these kind of gray areas or avoid botching it, I think has been a massive um, accelerator of the acceptance or understanding of this way of working, this way of getting work done, and also the, um, the urgency within companies to actually have this as, a, as an effective channel um, to deliver resource. Did you see, um, did you see that the DWP got fined like 87 million quid by HMRC? Ah,
1: oh, I didn't.
0: Yeah, um, R35 non-compliance. Um, I saw an article come out yesterday on that. Uh, and they were effectively using the CES tool, uh, I believe. Um, uh, but, but obviously some of the determinations were, were deemed to be incorrect afterwards. So it's, it's, a, it's a real, it really is a big issue for, for organizations yeah. in, the, in the public and private sector to, to have to address.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm certainly no expert in in IR35, Johnny. But one of the things that you know, the more informed as I speak to them, they you know, we talk a lot about the fact that actually there's not that much case law here. Everyone is kind of erring on the side of caution. But when you know, but the uh, the example that you just shared from from yesterday, well, actually, the more and more of those come out, the more case law will will start to be defined because there's still a question mark, right? Folks are asking, are HMRC actually going to allocate the resources to audit this, but actually what we're seeing is it is happening and the penalties are so severe.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, It's it's interesting what you were saying about the the war for talent as well, because where people are being super cautious around things like R35 in the UK, um, you can have situations where big organisations, whether they're in finance or pharmaceutical industry, that are very risk averse, that kind of can end up... um, Kind of scuppering themselves slightly when it comes to the war for talent because if they're if they're too rigid and they're not willing to take risk and try and do contingent workforce properly and they say we don't want to work with pscs full stop because they're not willing to take the risk that is really limiting their access to talent and i think this is again where different operating models of how you buy services the type of suppliers that you're getting to do the work for you whether it's on some sort of time and materials basis or whether it's on a specific outcome basis um, is really something that organizations are having to think about very clearly. And certain parts of organizations that maybe didn't really deal with outcome-based work delivery, for example, more the kind of HR and talent type of functions, are having to, what well, will rapidly have to learn from the services procurement, professional services, consulting category uh, leaders within the procurement industry who have to deal with this sort of stuff all the time. Um, so I think there's, there's potentially a real cross-pollination of knowledge there um, but it'll be interesting to see where the control of that type of work delivery channel ends up sitting, bearing in mind the way the different categories are structured.
1: I think you're right, Jody. And, I'm, and I look at it and I almost say that this is a period of transition, right? And, and there's many folks and organizations in the world looking to say, which way is this going to go, right? Do we, do we sit in the camp where we are uh, overly cautious because of some of the penalties, because of the impact to our brand if we get this wrong, et cetera? Or actually, do we want to go on the other side, which is actually, if we, if we lower some of these barriers, it means that it's going to be easier for us to access talent, right? Because if you, if you put you and you have to put yourself in the shoes of the resource to say, what might he or she want to do, right? Because the world is changing so much, right? Having a really strong brand is no longer enough to attract the best talent, Uh, especially if you're in a uh, profession that's highly sought after so you think about digital skills for example right people can work wherever they want they could probably demand the rates that they want um because there's so many people that are are going after it so organizations really have to think carefully about that so i think this is a point of transition where you've got big corporates that are certainly on the side of caution and what they'll be watching for at the moment is to say can we still be cautious and still uh, attract the best talent um or fast forward 12 months and we've realized we've had X number of roles out there. We don't have the right talent. We're not paying the right amount. Our brand's not enough to attract them. What are we doing wrong? Um, so I think this transition period is going to be really, really interesting. And, and I don't think we'll, anybody has the answers, right? Because it's we're talking about a macro level um, phenomenon to be which way will this actually go? Uh, so it's going, to be, it's going to be really interesting. Um, the comments I think that you make about uh, outcome-based services and how do you write those and how do you approach those, I think is also going to be really interesting because for me that comes down to more of a behavioral shift, right? You know, are, are organizations uh, focusing in the right way to educate users to write statements of work in the right way um, and what are they really doing about it?
0: And, and yeah. it's probably
1: a, a, another topic in itself.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're probably right. I mean, you know, when you look at it's ju- it's just another way of getting work done. And it's just another way of accessing talent effectively at the end of the day, because you're, you're outsourcing the problem to a supplier and it's their problem to make sure they've got the talent. So if there's a s- scarcity in cybersecurity talent, you may be able to access a very specialist supplier who's got the best cybersecurity people um, to, do the, to do the work through them where those people are very happy working on the, the type of projects that they like doing high end stuff very specific and they like working to an outcome where they can get satisfaction from working something through whereas they're maybe the sort of people that wouldn't want to sit in a permanent job because a they might earn less money and b it might be less uh, there, there might be uh, less opportunity for them to take things through to fruition and completion um but another point that you made i find really interesting which is when you're talking about the contingent workforce because the level of maturity in the contingent workforce, I think in general is pretty high. I mean, would you agree with that generally for most large Definitely. organizations?
1: Yeah, I think I think most large organizations are going through their second or third iteration uh, of maturity for, for their contingent worker programs for sure.
0: So, so you've got, you know, your, your permanent headcount, your permanent talent is always going to be a struggle because of the war for talent, um, but it's, it's a known quantity um and you know i think as you say organizations brands are very important their values um their permanent headcount is extremely important as an intrinsic part of that and how they attract people is very important um but there's a clear path to how they do that it's obviously being iterated all the time as as uh you know the demands of new people coming into the market change um the contingent workforce is again I, I feel like a solved problem there's some great technology in that area the vendor management systems the way that that's set up within um, you know, recruitment and staffing MSP programmes, for example, with the managed service providers wrapping a service around it. And um, I do feel like services procurement is the biggest area of, of opportunity when you look at, okay, I'm going to, am I going to use permanent resource? Am I going to use contingent workforce? Or am I going to outsource it under a statement of work? That's, that's the area that's much more of a greenfield opportunity for tech providers like us, staffing providers who are adding that to their portfolio of services within an MSP and being asked to by their end clients, and also for large organisations to just address it as a resource channel. Um, but I think, yeah, contingent workforce is a is a, is a solved problem to a large extent, whereas this is, it's just much more all over the place currently. So it's, it's a harder problem for companies to address it. They've got to overcome a hurdle of saying that this is going to be, this is going to be tricky, but we've got to do it. It's complex, but we have to do it. And I feel like, COVID has um, added a massive amount of impetus to companies finally saying, we've got to sort this out. Firstly, because they need to understand what they're already spending on services, which can be massive, generally four times the size of contingent workforce spend, but also where it might need to be a future, a more important avenue for more general delivery of work than maybe it has been in the past. What's been your experiences in kind of looking at how companies are trying to address that?
1: So I think um so I agree with everything you've said right and Joanne when I when I look at you know some of the potential solutions out there I think there is a I think there's a few that I think of there is a huge one that I talk about for functional alignment and and I think HR and procurement need to get on the same page and I think there's a huge opportunity there for for more alignment there and I think this notion of um you know who's managing PERM recruitment, who's managing contingent workers, procurement, then managing uh, everything outside of that for for statement of work. I think there's a huge opportunity there um, for for better functional alignment. And I think for me, that sits at the heart of this. And when you really start thinking about, you know, you talked about this being four times the size, it is huge. It's humongous. And and organizations that are, are on that journey are definitely seeing the functional alignment as a, Key driver uh, that's going to uh, allow uh, anyone to fix this problem right so so for me that's a really big one and I think about you know what what role does procurement play in this and and I think as a part of the solution, procurement has an opportunity to redefine its category verticals and and I think those category verticals served many organizations really well over the last ten years, but I think this is a perfect point of reflection to say you know, do our category structures and our operating models reflect what my stakeholder is buying? And is it reflective of the market, right? And the way the market is now laid out. And, you know, we can often talk about um, the convergence of different suppliers, you know, what suppliers are doing A, to survive in this world, B, to diversify their 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 portfolios, but also to stay relevant, right? So, so procurement redefining its category verticals, I think is a big part of the, the solution for this. Uh, I think the triage and labor classification is another area um, which is a, a potential solution and, and huge win, right? Being able to really clearly say, this is the, the entry point for a requester. These are all the different labor classifications and really help educate the user because you know, I'm a really firm believer that everyone wakes up in the morning with positive intent. You know, of course, you're going to have some stakeholders out there that are trying to um, swerve the system, if you like. But I think there's a, there's a lot of complexity in this that organizations over the years have just missed. Some of it is because there's conflicting policies out there. Some because just the processes aren't clear. Some of it's the, you know, the, the category verticals that I talked about. It's actually quite difficult for a stakeholder to navigate through that, right? So huge opportunity to fix that. Then I think about the supply side of things. And I think, you know, what, what organizations should be doing is looking at their supplier base, really being mindful and respectful about how much expertise sits there, right? Work with your suppliers to collaborate, work with your suppliers to to innovate and build solutions that work for your organization. And, and I think finally on the supply piece, it's probably it's probably worth talking about um, when we're talking about solutions is ensure that you've got multiple supply channels, right? Think about how the world has developed and move away from just traditional supply. Think about how neurodiversity should play a role in in your uh, supply strategies. Think about crowdsourcing. Think about all of the different platforms. And, And Johnny, you touched on the fact that, you know, COVID accelerated. I think COVID accelerated all of the points that I've just mentioned about potential solutions. And, and I think there is a huge appetite now for organizations to align themselves with, you know, whether it's procurement 4.0 or industry 4.0, but this notion of the, the, the digital transformation era, now is the perfect time to get on it. And I, and I find uh, it's a, there's so many opportunities there, but just um, hugely excited about how much organizations can do in this space. So for me, I, I would say functional alignment uh, between HR and procurement, category verticals, be really clear on triage uh, labor classifications, work with your suppliers to build those solutions uh, where they might not exist, and really think about your supply strategy and how you are gonna bring uh, talent into the business and, and move away from, from traditional uh, supply. You know, Think about what else the world is doing.
0: Yeah, great points. And I think, you know, when you look at things like digital transformation, um, you know, it's a huge opportunity for companies. But I'd almost go one further and say it's a must because they're just going to get left behind. Otherwise, if you look at the speed of change, it's such a competitive marketplace. Organisations are moving forward so rapidly. The expectations of what change looks like and what transformation looks like and what efficiency looks like are you know, if you look at the way that technology is leading that, the change is happening so much quicker than the kind of organisational change that's happened within organisations. But then you look at these really highly developed, you know, leading edge companies, stuff's changing so quickly that other companies are just going to completely get left behind if they don't get on top of this now. Um, So so I think it's definitely an opportunity. But I'd say that if you look at, even if you just look at the technology adoption increases that we've had because of covid remote working technology being a, being a classic example um that it's just completely changed the game and that and and the way that people work the way that works delivered it, it has changed very rapidly so i, I think that's a, a critical factor that companies are, are going to their success is going to be defined by how effectively they can keep pace and transform to, to fit into the way that the market's changing um you also mentioned triage so with regards to triage i mean it, it, Partly always comes down to like definitions um, and, and coming back to it in a minute, but but that's a, a one I'm really interested in around um, the, the, the category verticals that you were describing. But if we look at triage for, for a minute, um can you just define what you mean by by triage? And can you also just kind of take me through how where that process starts and finish, finishes finishes?
1: Yeah, sure. So, so when I talk about uh, triage, Johnny, it's essentially a, a series of options that the stakeholder has based on a series of rules. So if, uh, if a stakeholder is saying, hey, I need to, I need to buy a resource or uh, some capability to help me deliver this project in this way, and here's what the scope looks like, um, a triage process will have some form of decision tree whether that is technology-enabled, whether it's an individual on the end of a phone that is working through the different options. Ultimately, the triage will help direct the stakeholder to a really clear process that has been set up in such a way that will allow them to be able to buy their service, ideally in a straight line. When um, When I talk about the category verticals, what's happened in many organizations over the years is You know, that entry point has been less clear for a stakeholder. So uh, an example of this would be, you know, uh, a stakeholder says that they want to buy some capability. and It sounds like a contractor. It goes this way to the contingent workforce team. They start to process it. And all of a sudden, they realize that it sounds a little bit more like a service or the supplier is a traditional consulting firm. It then gets thrown over to the category team uh, of professional services, for example. They look at it and then start processing it again. In the meantime, you've got a very patient stakeholder that's waiting and saying, Oh, thought we've been down this road before. (laughs) Um, And then the category team within professional services will say, okay, this is good. We're going through it. And then they get to a point and it might say software there. And all of a sudden they say, I've got to stop now, guys. Software isn't in my remit. We've now got to throw it over to the IT team. Um, So you kind of can see how I'm building this narrative that, In the meantime, there is a stakeholder that's out there that is trying to do all the right things and deliver for the business and impact the bottom line. In the meantime, they've got stuck within a procurement process, which is probably a little bit outdated. Uh, And it served many organizations really well. And I, I think, Johnny, for me, this comes to the point that you were just making, which is the digital transformation era is happening so quickly. And historically organizations just haven't been used to working at that pace so almost at the drop of a hat these large organizations multi-matrix in in many geographies are having to react so quickly to the market to start moving things forward and and i think this is where the notion of agility comes in where organizations are not only having to unlearn the way they did things before but learn new behaviors new practices and work with suppliers that can That have the appetite to work that quickly too so there is so much change there and it's it's very uncomfortable for for big organizations that traditionally have been um quite slow
0: yeah and i guess when it comes down to definitions um again even if you're just defining a category the devil's in the detail i mean it's like you know even if you if you talk to people about direct versus indirect and what actually fits into those different buckets sometimes you'll get slightly different answers if you talk about what professional services entails, um, sometimes you'll get slightly different answers. Some people will have professional services as a one big category. Some people will split out other areas that fit within professional services. So it, it seems to change organisation to organisation. I think from our point of view, when we're, when we're addressing services procurement um, as a kind of work delivery channel or, or a way of buying resource or getting work done, for us, it's just very simple in the sense that it's any service procured under a statement of work. You know, you're not going to buy a contingent worker under a statement of work. That's going to be a contract uh, scenario. A permanent employee, you're going to hire them. If you're outsourcing a piece of work, you're going to be procuring those services under a statement of work. If you're buying goods, you're going to be buying goods through a catalogue and a, and, a, and a very kind of specific process. Um, so, so going back to that kind of underpinning um, structure of it being around the purchasing and delivery of services under a statement of work, that covers such a broad area covers so many different categories could be IT could be professional services will be consulting will be all sorts of different things facilities marketing legal uh, it depends how it splits up so I mean what what's your view on how widely the uh, or how um, uniform the kind of categorization of of, of procurement um, verticals is across different organizations or do you think it's down to the individual organization to just work out what works best for them, bearing in mind their industry, etc. Yeah,
1: I think I think there's some common threads, right, Johnny? And a lot of those common threads are either going to be dictated by regulation and, and law, uh, and and therefore that becomes the common thread. And everyone looks at a contractor because it ticks all of these boxes in terms of treatment of labour, etc. So, so there's definitely going to be some common threads. My, my view, however, it probably aligns to yours, Johnny, in the sense that simplicity will be success, right? So if you, if you give this to somebody who is an expert in this area and they try and write a policy or triage or definitions or classifications with tons of buts, right, which is, yeah, but it's got to have this, or it's got to have this, the moment you put it in front of, uh, a stakeholder, you start to lose them, right? So you've got to start talking the language, because if you want this policy or the process to actually work, simplicity is absolutely key. And, and I think this goes to um, another question that you, you had, Johnny, where you were talking about, you know, kind of the almost the entry points around uh, triage, there's got to be consistency there. Uh, and, and over the years, most organisations have not had that, right? So there's, there's either been a separate form of triage because of the category verticals, in fact. But actually, my view is that the opportunity is pulling all of the labor and talent that's being bought under its own category. And it almost becomes a super category for buying, um, buying labor uh, and talent. Uh, and I think that's where some organizations that are uh, embracing that view will really see uh, a huge amount of success. And a lot of it is going to be because of that entry point entry point that that stakeholder comes in will have the different options underneath that but actually they've they got either the same individual or the same piece of software that's um, describing the same definitions right to your point around it depends who picks up the phone they'll give you a slightly different version of what professional services might be uh, so I think I think that's really key getting the entry point right making sure it's really key uh, and, and clear for the for the stakeholders i think is going to be a big part of the success here just keep it simple
0: yeah i totally agree um i it's absolutely critical so so when we look at that if we look at that that kind of entry point the triage scenario how what's the best way to get the work done one of the things that, that i've noticed in the market is that this is an area that um staffing msps are, are taking on uh they're really starting to get stuck into this area where they're developing services and already providing services around this triage type of scenario. My own personal view is that it's still quite embryonic in the market generally, whether people are doing it directly, whether people are using an MSP, but it's but it's interesting that that's springing from suppliers that would be traditionally associated with primarily contingent workforce. Um, but, but I guess when you look at it, there's, there's similar problem solving skills involved in defining work and defining how it gets done and making sure that it's uh, compliant with the relevant regulations that could apply to how you buy services under a statement of work. But but when you look within organisations, the area that deals with buying services from consultancy, for example, in procurement, to your point earlier, needs to get closer to the the parts of procurement that are used to buying time and materials labour. And I think you, you you could end up with, like say, kind of super categories or, or new roles that define, that are purely based around the work, not the worker. So what is it that needs to be done? What's the most effective route to market? Which channels do we have? Is that a gig marketplace? Is it um, a permanent headcount? Is it a contractor? Is it an outsourced project delivered under a statement of work? And being able to plug in these different options, that's the kind of ultimate panacea of, strategic workforce planning or you know work design type concepts but I do feel like at the moment it's it's as as far as that sits within procurement it's not very well aligned generally
1: yeah I think I think you're right Johnny and that's and that for me is probably a big reason as to why it's taken as long as it has because actually everything that you and I are talking through uh, Johnny, there are some elements which uh, might be new to folk, but actually, there's a lot in there where you'll have your audience kind of nodding and smiling, saying, "Actually, I've seen that, and I've seen that happening for ten years." And you know, if we ask ourselves a question, you know, "Why is it? Why is it actually taken so long to fix some of these areas?" I, th- I think you're, I think you're right. And for me, I think about the stuff inside, right? So, what are some of the internal factors that have really stopped this from progressing? And only really allowed the contingent workforce programs to progress. What about everything else? And then I think there's a series of external factors also that hasn't allowed for services procurement to mature in in um, the way we would like to see it today. And when we look at the external side, we are talking about you know low market maturity for services procurement. And and you know you've you've talked about that. You've talked about um, the MSPs. Now getting into this space, which I think is uh, is a great idea because I think they bring with them a huge amount of experience and knowledge in this space to now say, okay, we've done contingent worker programs really well. There are a lot of similarities in managing statement of work. Of course, there's differences too, but how do we reapply some of that knowledge uh, with our scale to help some of our clients, right? So if we go back a few years, the market maturity was not there. Uh, you will have some folks that argue, actually, maybe it's still not there. There's a few folks that are doing it, but actually the world is changing. And I think some of the solution today will come from smaller point solutions, right? Some of the great work that, that you guys are doing as well, Johnny, I think is going to help with that. And then on the other side of the external market, we start thinking about market convergence, right? All of the different suppliers and how, um, how their businesses have changed. And, you know, I I talked about it earlier on as well about, you know, how much of it was purely due to survival. Maybe some of it was due to growth opportunities. Maybe some of it is due to diversification, but it's happening. And those market convergences have been happening for a while. And then, of course, you've got new entrants, right, that are creating some incredibly exciting disruption, uh, which for somebody like me on the buy side of the table, uh, you know, I've been waiting for that for years. Uh, But it's one of those reasons why, um, the market has been has been quite slow, right? And and this is still a business problem that many organisations are trying to fix. So so that's some of the external stuff, right? And then we've we've talked about the stuff on the inside, which is what are some of the internal factors? We've talked about corporate policies, right? When we're, when, when these policies are being written within large organisations, they have a very focused goal. Uh, And, you know, hindsight's great, right? It's great for for anybody to sit here and look back and say, well, actually the indirect consequence of that, of that policy around headcount is you have driven spend going the wrong way. And actually, if you work that through, the impact that's had on your bottom line is probably quite significant, right? So so policies have always been something which I think have really slowed down the fix here. We talked about the functional alignment uh, as being another area and um, that has probably slowed down the progress in this in this space. Um, and all of those things are driving buying behaviors, right? So uh, it's often really easy for a procurement guy to be like, yeah, but you know, the stakeholders doing this and actually we should self-reflect and we should say how much of the processes or policies or governance that we've set up that have been in our control are probably driving some of those behaviors, right?
0: Yeah. I, um, Sorry, I was, just, I was just going to say, it, it just kind of really struck a chord with me there, because what you're talking about is hurdles being put in the way for people and people going around those hurdles and procurement looking at it and going, these guys are going off script, you know, why, why is that? And I think that, you know, technology is partly, um, you know, to blame for that as well. Whereas if you look at the maturity of technology within services procurement, it's nowhere near the level of maturity you've got in contingent workforce. And is, there's a massive difference between the level of maturity where you're buying goods versus services. But that's because services are really complex. If you were buying goods, it can be catalogued. It can be quite binary. It's very easy to compare suppliers. You know, obviously, there's massive complexity in terms of the way you look at the supply chain, the actual supply chain setup. up. But the actual the goods and materials you're buying themselves, it's quite easy to know whether you've got what you wanted and what it is you're buying um, and measuring it. You, you can't measure services on weight and volume and size and number of, of units anywhere near as easily. So it's been something that it's just a harder problem to solve. Um, and so the, the existing technology has done a very good job of, of solving the overarching procurement process and, and making the purchase and, and uh, management of goods uh, procurement goods and materials very effective. And equally, you've got specialist technology that manages contingent workforce very effectively that ties into the bigger procurement systems. I think the same is going to happen in with services procurement, but um, it needs a different view on the world because it's a different setup and you're measuring different things. And it's there are different parameters in it. Um, So I think that's that's definitely going to be a a bit of the culprit as well as as well as the processes that the organisations have put in place that maybe are really out of date. Um, or as you say are driving unintended behaviors but it feels like those sort of processes have been in place for a long time most organizations.
1: Yeah I completely agree Johnny I mean and you're right in saying you know we've been very guilty of almost forcing uh, indirect services and services procurement into tools that have potentially been built for buying goods Uh, and and that has impacted the experience for the stakeholder and I've talked a lot about that today and And one of the reasons for it is because, you know, most reports you pick up that talk about priorities for for the CPO in 2021 will have some notion of improving the operational performance, efficiency, cost to serve. Um, But a lot of that is going to be about improving the customer experience. When we talk about customers, we're talking about our stakeholders who are now, of course, living in a different day and age where the products they use at home, uh, when we talk about consumer grade, they're in a very, very different level to what we're seeing within the corporate world, right? The processes are really clunky. So it goes back to a new, you know, you can feel a theme through this conversation, which is uh, about agility, it's about consumer grade. It's about making the experience better for the customer because actually that's where procurement wants to be seen, right? I think uh, it's probably stretching it to say, gone are the days where procurement is only focusing on cost. There'll still be, cost will still play a, a big driver in, in the function and a target from the, the CFO, but actually it's a number of different elements and the procurement process is going to play a big part of that. right? And I, I think going forwards, I think a lot of the goal uh, and the success is going to come from integration on all of the different tools and the ways people buy that you talked about, Johnny. I think it's all about integration. It's getting all those different platforms that are out there. That may might already be quite established and doing a fantastic job for a specific service line. How do they integrate with something that's coming new into the business? How does a supplier or a technology firm give that to the client very quickly? And how quickly can a client um, almost absorb that and get that stood up? Right. So speed is going to be of the essence here. And, and you made a really good point earlier on where you were talking about, you know, if, if corporates don't do this quickly enough, they'll just get left behind.
0: Yeah, and as a, as a tech supplier going into large corporates, you have to make it simple. Um, you, you can't make it too big a hurdle to get over. You know, organisations are motivated to solve these problems now. But if you're going in with a, a solution like ourselves or we're just looking at services procurement, you, you, you can package up what you need to do and the clever bits that you provide into a very neat solution where you're just, the problem comes into your system and the system does all the right things and gives you the great results. But you still got to consider two other major factors. One is, how does that interface with existing systems? Whether it be like an Ariba or a Cooper or something like that, um, or even, you know, document signature, you know, reporting packages, finance packages, things like that. You have to have the ability to integrate. I totally agree with you. Um, But actually you also need to keep that simple. Um, and, and there might be a phase one, phase two, phase three, where you're adding in a layer of complexity. But when you look at how most people are managing services, there are absolutely base levels of maturity, even very large organizations, very well-known organizations, very early levels of maturity. So actually there's a huge amount that can be gained just by getting that process working properly in the first place. And I think, you know, from, from our point of view as a tech provider, we look at some of the stuff that we're doing that's really innovative around things like supply performance management, where you're getting clear um, comparative measurements on suppliers who are providing services, which is hugely complex. We're doing some cool stuff with AI around that. That's the kind of icing on the cake, the holy grail, the panacea in the future of being able to understand who are your best suppliers by category, You know, understand before you're going into competitive bidding situations and shortlisting suppliers and stuff like that. But the only way you can get there is to capture the process effectively. You have to capture that processing that data effectively first and that's the less glitzy stuff um, really practical stuff but as you say you know if you with new technology providers you know for, for people like us we have to approach it from a, from the a point of view of saying the interface needs to be as good as whatever people are using in their personal life because that's what people expect I, I guess maybe historically there was pressure on enterprise technology companies to make it feel like enterprise technology by it being, giant super clunky and restructured. so uh, it looks like an enterprise technology piece of kit but that's no longer the case um so so it's making it easy people but also you need to be able to configure it because even when you're looking at integrations if someone's got a reba um they might be using it in a completely different way to somebody else who's got a reba they might have configured it they might have their own internal processes and nuances and cost codes and cost centers and all this sort of thing so um my, my opinion is if you're a technology provider, nail the core process, get that absolutely right, be a specialist and then you have to have flexibility to make that work for different clients in different scenarios and in different industries. But if you can get that working, then you have a solution that you can actually put in quite quickly and get operating quickly. And I think the thing that I find really exciting and I think that procurement professionals should be excited about is you know automation, is great because it can, it can take away all this. It can automate out the stuff that people, people shouldn't be spending 80% of their time manually managing statements of work. That doesn't make any sense. They're not using all the skills and intelligence and ability that these procurement people have got if that's the setup. So, so that's one side of it. But for me, the really exciting bit is if procurement are controlling all this data, if they can really centralize the data around the procurement of services, which is somewhere between 1 and 20 trillion spend annually, then that, is, that puts procurement in a really powerful position to be able to feed into the C-suite and help drive the strategy of that organization because they're, they're getting all the external information, all the internal information. But at the moment, I don't feel like people working in, across services categories have really generally got that information.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're spot on, Johnny. And you made uh, so many good points there. And there's, there's two that I wrote down because I thought they were, A, they were quite profound and we've not talked about it. But... This notion of corporates being now motivated sounds really simple, right? But you can imagine no matter how good your technology is or how great the solution might be that you're offering, if the customer's not ready for it, they don't have a desire for it, or they're not motivated for it, it's going to sit on a shelf somewhere. Uh, and I think it's a really profound point to say that level of motivation over the last 18 months gone from here to here, right? Huge point that I think uh, is, again, a simple one, but it's one worth just kind of uh, just talking about for a second. It's a really big one for me there. The second one that I, I wrote down, Johnny, was about partnership. And I see I see partnership as being so important to f- to, to fix so many of the world's problems today, right? Whether we think about collaboration and co-venturing between two competitors, you know, whatever it might be, but I find that point around partnership is really the key to success going, going forward. And, and to bring that to this conversation, it's your point around integration, because that is another form of partnership, right? How do we get all of these point solutions that are doing what they're doing so well to partner with uh, another provider to give The client the tech stack that it needs and for me it's that piece there is we use the language of integration but really it's all about partnerships right and and i think the success in in this space is gonna is gonna come from those partnerships moving away from that competitive type landscape that has been there for so many years because really what that's done is it's slowed down innovation so I think, I think this notion of partnerships that you, you talked about, uh, I think, is hugely critical. And as a buyer, I, I welcome it from, from all sides of the table.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it's spot on. I mean, you know, when you talk about partnership, you know, we have situations where we'll be talking to an end customer and they'll say, well, we've got certain things we want to address around how our current process, which might be a manual process, works and how we want to make that fit into how we can use your tool or, um, you know, all sorts of different things, whether it's, you know, rate cards, sign off processes, all these different things. Now, what we, the way we always try and work with an end customer is to say, let's collaborate on this. Let's work in partnership because there may be certain things in your process that it makes absolute sense to look at how, okay, how can we configure the system most effectively to work with the process that you're already working with? But also we can provide information on best practice and our product is guided by what the market wants generally and what it the most effective kind of finds the most effective route by the pressure of what people are asking for so in some cases you can you can work with a customer and collaborate with them and they'll end up saying actually the only reason we're doing all these complicated processes is because it's manual and because we've got these disparate systems if we can if we can shortcut some of that then we can do it much more effectively and that is for me that's partnership because that's both sides just effectively looking at a problem and saying with the resources that we bring and what you need, how do we most effectively solve this problem? Um, yeah, I absolutely love that approach. And I think it also applies to the way that organizations can engage with suppliers as well, particularly if technology can facilitate it because you know, suppliers can help co-author requirements. We talked about writing statements of work as a whole separate topic. If you're a stakeholder and you're outsourcing a piece of work to a cybersecurity specialist provider, They're probably going to know way more about it than you do when it comes to the nitty gritty detail. And if you're putting a requirement in front of five different suppliers, they might actually have different ways of suggesting it, different milestones, different um, time spans, etc. And that's where choosing the right suppliers, and I'm sure you've got huge experience of procurement helping facilitate this, that can be a very valuable part of the partnership process as well.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I agree with all of that, um, uh, Johnny. And it's uh, it's such exciting times, right? When I when I hear people talk about that desire to collaborate uh, and partner, uh, for me, if you think about it from a procurement perspective, right, we're we're not used to hearing suppliers talking that way because over the years, it's all been about how do I keep a competitive advantage, and the more I talk openly, I lose some of that. Uh, and, and for me, it's just, it's such a buzz living um, and working in the profession right now, because actually we're hearing so many talented uh, people, suppliers talk in a more open way, because actually they're trying to find that right solution to be able to offer to the market. Uh, and it's, it's fantastic.
0: It is great. Yeah, it is exciting. And, uh, you know, as you, as you spoke about earlier with regards to clear motivation, know, if you're trying to educate the market, if you're a provider and you're trying to educate the market on your solution, or or what the problem is that you're trying to solve, you're kind of on a hiding to nothing, unless you're unless you're some, you know, billion dollar mega funded startup that's just you know putting all the noise out there with a new concept. But for example, with services procurement, it's been around for a long time, and it's been there have been issues with it for a long time, but they've. I totally agree with what you were saying about over the last 18 months, kind of jumping from here to here. We've absolutely seen that. Um, And it's kind of various factors that have played into it. Global factors around things like COVID, where, you know, you can't have, um, there can't be any allowances for, um, it's straight to the point when it comes to what are we getting for our money? What value is this driving? And, and, And as we kind of spoke about briefly earlier, cost versus value, Rather than a CPO or a CFO just saying, how much did we spend on services last year? Chop it down by 20%. We need to save some money because we've got these pressures. Really, organizations have an opportunity to say, what is this spend driving? And OK, that, is, that isn't a small problem to solve. And for a lot of organizations, they're at the beginning of the maturity curve to solve that problem. But when you look at the, the, the level of spend involved, it absolutely makes sense for organizations to make the effort to do that but there's a clear motivation. It's driven by economic global factors like COVID. It's driven by local regulatory factors, like R35 in the UK, similar legislation starting to come in in places like Germany, the US. Um, and it's also driven by other factors, like for example, Brexit, um, where it's talent pressures, but for various reasons of things changing and particular skills being in demand and technology changing so quickly. So. Um, It is a great time to be to be working in this space. Um, There is clear motivation, and I think procurement have been the the status of procurement um, in some ways has been elevated throughout the last eighteen months. If you look at some of the amazing work procurement teams have done in very challenging circumstances, I think businesses are recognising you know these teams are problem solvers and procurement. If you look at the range of skills that procurement people have to have to be effective at what they do, they are diverse you know, you know, thinkers with who can use initiative to solve problems, and they have to manage relationships and do all these different things. So really, if procurement people can be can move away from the administrative side more towards the strategic side, that's what companies ultimately want. And I think that's what procurement people ultimately want. Um, And I think this whole situation over the last 18 months, the fact that we're seeing this motivation is evidence that 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 has um, really come to the fore.
1: Yeah, and it's, uh, it's great to hear you say that, Johnny. You're a great spokesman for, uh, for procurement, for sure.
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, I think even in the last 18 months, I've seen narratives around um, the procurement seat at the C-suite table. But like I say, when you come back to the data, you can't argue with that. You know, data is, data is so critically important. And if procurement are controlling that data, and if they have effective data, they can make massive inferences uh, and put forward, um, you know, backed up reasoning to drive decision making within the board. And, you know, I think it's interesting when you look at like the kind of top level professional services and consulting area, where, where typically you'd have organisations that have got very strong C-suite relationships, and this will always continue to a certain level because relationships are extremely important, but where procurement have kind of been missed out um, when it comes to those top level strategic consulting relationships, and, um, there's, there's maybe not that much analysis on what are we actually getting for our money. Is that acceptable anymore? I don't know. I wouldn't have said it was acceptable in the first place, but it's certainly an accepted practice within many organisations. Um, so so when, you, when you start seeing procurement as being the people that that data is flowing through, then it's, it's potentially going to give an opportunity for procurement to say, yeah, these guys are great and they're, they're a big, solid provider. They've got a global capacity, but for this project... We've got a really innovative supplier over here. They're smaller, but they're amazing. And actually, that can really help drive savings or, or, or revenue growth or whatever it might be, new product lines coming out. So I think, you know, if if procurement can get on top of the data and get access to that effectively, I do think that's quite a powerful position.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, the, the profile of procurement in, in many organisations has been changing over the years And I think where we are today is, you know, procurement, focusing on the right priorities that align with the business objectives for that specific business, but also demonstrating how it can do more, right? And changing that dialogue and that conversation to go more around value. And and as a part of that discussion, ensuring it's giving the business the right things. Uh, And that means, you know, fixing the procurement process and the experience, And using really good technology that will give it data to give the function data so it can start having these really informed high value conversations with the likes of the cfo and others Um, but i think i think the profile for sure is changing and it's great that you're seeing that as well
0: i definitely seeing it and you know the demand within organizations to get stuff done combined kind of when you face that with that, that that's never been higher get stuff done, get it done quickly, get it done efficiently, get it done well. It's critical, our competitors are racing off, we've got to catch up with them, or the market's pressuring us. A huge pressure there. But on the other side of it, bigger talent shortages than ever before. Regulatory changes which are happening globally that are putting a squeeze on maybe things that haven't been done properly previously, like some of the contingent workforce concerns that are in US, Europe, et cetera. that's a pretty. That's a kind of a sandwich situation. That's quite a difficult one. You're kind of between a rock and a hard place with that. Um, so I think the the stakeholder they, they they want they want to be helped. They want to get the things done. And but they know they've got to do it in the right way. So I think all of these things kind of line up to say that you know procurement should be allowed to do their jobs properly rather than being hindered or rather than being just seen as the people who say no or some sort of you know blockers in the process because um, there are issues facing the stakeholders who want to get this stuff done. And and I don't know whether you've seen um, a change in attitude from from business stakeholders with regards to how procurement can help them with that side of things or or whether that's maybe a slower side of the change.
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because um, I I think both sides of that coin, both procurement and the business, are starting to see the world in a different way because of everything that they've faced, right? And procurement have got a conversation to have with itself to say, what do I want to be known for, right? Do I want to be known for a function that allows, is an enabler to the business so they can do what they're trying to do? Do I want to be known as a function that is just stripping cost out of stuff? Do I want to be known as a function that provides high value expertise, right? Like what do we really want to be known for? Uh, and I think that's a really important positioning play that procurement has to focus on uh, based on its conversation with the business. And then I think from a business perspective, I'm certainly seeing the business being more open, but it still comes down to, you know, what do I want to know? What do I want to go to procurement for? Right? So you you would have heard the, you know, many people talk about, you know, when something doesn't come through procurement, is it because, you know, an individual is trying to avoid a process is it because they don't want them to negotiate cost out or is it generally a lack of uh, education? They don't know what the process is, right? The answer to that is going to be very interesting. Um, so I've not seen anything specific happen at a macro level that I think, you know, the business is changing its view of procurement or going in a different direction. Some of it will come down to mandate. I'm still a believer of a lot of these pressures that the business are facing. There will be more mandates that are coming out where, you um, Stakeholders are having to, to do something in a very set way. I think conversely to that, Johnny, I think there's also, and this is a bit of a conflict, but conversely, there are some organizations out there that are giving uh, uh, or empowering the business more. Right, So they're setting up budgets in a different way. The delegations of authority are changing because there is an acceptance that actually I can't put more fences around you because it's slowing down what you're trying to achieve. In fact, I'm going to break some of those barriers down. Uh, And that's a challenge for procurement, right? Because procurement has been a function over the years, which is very used to having fences put up and then potentially going to the business with a stick saying, hey, you broke this or you breached this rule. Procurement are having to change the way it works with the business and give the business the right reason for using them. So whether that's you can get me something really quickly and really efficiently, um, but it's going to be easier to deal with, right? So as I've been kind of talking to you, Johnny, I've thought about probably two aspects of it. One is the mandate side, and there'll be certain sectors and geographies that push the mandate. You have to use procurement. Um, Some procurement folk will say that, actually, I don't want to be on that side of the fence. I want a stakeholder to use me for a different reason or pick up the phone and have a conversation with me for a different reason. Then you'll have organizations that are saying, we want to break down all of those barriers. We want to set less rules in place. And we want to empower the business to go out there and make their own decisions and maybe do some of their own buying. And in that challenge, procurement have to decide, you know, how much do they um, push self-serve, right? So is it, is it now a different conversation for those guys on that side of the fence that say, actually, it's not about me touching every order that comes through. Now it's about me setting thresholds at a strategic level or to say, I'm going to set the infrastructure for the business to be able to go out there and do all of their buying for this type of service uh, under this threshold, you know, whatever those rules might be that are appropriate for that business. Uh, But in those scenarios, procurement will have to think about that.
0: That is something we're seeing a lot. Um, And and the challenges you just mentioned um, for procurement to effectively remove the hurdles um, and the mandate versus non mandate obviously for the mandated point of view it does to a certain extent depend on company culture some companies are just like the culture would be like, there's no way you could mandate stuff because it's just not how the organization operates some of them will change and some of them for some people some organizations in highly regulated industries etc you know mandates are pretty standard that's what they would expect and other organizations are just going to say well i don't care we've just got to make sure we're compliant and we've got to make sure we're efficient so we're going to mandate it whether you like it or not it is happening um but the 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 getting the hurdles out of the way is an issue for procurement technology you know certainly for providers like ourselves as as well you have to you have to almost get out of the way as a tech provider and this is where we're seeing a really interesting trend where organizations are blending procurement control with self-service because you can still offer self-service. You can offer self-service, but you can still have visibility. So I guess you've got these two things. You've got control, where you're saying, this has to go through procurement. The procurement have to make a decision or have some sort of input. But then on the other stuff where it doesn't make sense to do that, if procurement can still see it, and they can still report on it, and they've still got access and overview to what's happening, then they can start to look at trends, improve the process, identify problems. You know start forecasting more effectively look back retrospectively and see what's gone wrong what's gone well whether things need changing or mandating but give people freedom but if they can see it that's half the problem um, whereas at the moment within services procurement there's just generally very little visibility um and when it comes to self-service um you know in a lot of organizations that just means people doing their own thing and going around the process so i agree and i think there there is a blend in the middle where organizations set thresholds again it's about procurement applying their expertise to the things that that um, it's most effective to apply them to so below a certain spend threshold maybe you should be letting people get on with it but you should be able to monitor it and understand what it is that they're buying how they're buying it what suppliers are doing but but let technology take care of that whereas and then you can apply the strategic information from understanding how all the buying's working and what's being delivered out of it you can use that reporting and that data to give informed strategic decisions whilst then focusing the negotiation the relationship management around the bigger stuff that is over a certain threshold then it's then people aren't just um you know being forced into massive amounts of administration so yeah i totally agree and um and i think that's um that's something that's a, a bit of a pleasant surprise for organizations when they start to address this because they will go into it with this concern you know, they're not in the stomach of thinking, oh, God, are we going to have to mandate a procurement going to have to see everything to say yes to everything. And we're doing that at the moment. And it's all manual, but it's a nightmare. Maybe if you have just got a simple system and a simple process that allows buyers and suppliers to interact, but you can see it all. You can layer on the control as appropriate. And it may be that you have zero control to start with. You don't impose any controls over it and you just you just get it running because because you're going from a situation where there are zero controls and you can't see anything. So maybe having like very low levels of control and complete visibility suddenly is a big improvement. If you then need to layer on controls as you build a more mature program, that can be done quite easily when you've got direct evidence and data to back it up. But um, yeah, I think that that mix of self-service and um, procurement oversight with procurement control in the right area, I think that's a great thing, great way to approach it.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, it does it does one thing that many organizations are, are trying to do when it comes to operational efficiencies is, is reducing your functional cost to serve, right? So how much does it cost a procurement organization uh, to serve its customers and, and the business? And actually, I, I believe that the role for the category manager going forwards, a lot of that is going to be their strategies should look at creating a controlled environment. So all of the stuff that you talked about, Johnny, which is, hey, you can put some boundaries up that allow you to still be a good category manager. You've still got all of the data that you need to take informed decisions about the space that you own but actually you're also allowing uh, the user to get what they need so they can do all of the right things for the business which is what they're employed to do right without having all of these barriers but creating that controlled environment means that you are creating some freedom um, because you've done all of the hard work up front which is uh you know It might be just about supply base for a specific geography, right? If that's where your expertise is and you're, you're allowing some options for a stakeholder to work through without being bounced from, you know, two or three different category folks in, in procurement to have that conversation. So I think that's the role it's going to be about channel management. Uh, and it's about increasing that customer experience with, um, you know, less procurement interventions. Uh, but doing it in a controlled way, right? So whether it's going to be by geography, whether it's by category or subcategory, or whether it's by spend, uh, you know, whatever the, the rules are, but creating some freedom there um, because, you know, that's where we see organisations going. Organisations are, are giving that freedom now and that empowerment to the business. Uh, and I think procurement needs to support that too. And And they are in many cases.
0: Yeah, it is so exciting. And I think, you know, going back to the point that you highlighted earlier, without the genuine motivation within organisations, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yes. This wouldn't be, you know, such a, a current and an important topic that, that people are genuinely addressing now. And I love it because I just love problem solving. Um, and, and you know, from our point of view, we our product was kind of born out of solving problems for customers and, and, and building it up in, in what the market wants. Um, and what the market wants is rapidly developing and coming out. But some central themes that have come through, certainly that the we see already are staying true. And it's just, you've got people at the front of the curve and you've got people that are catching up with it. But yeah. the motivation is there to do it. And people are addressing these problems and coming up with solutions and technology providers are entering the arena and, and coming up with trying to help those solutions move faster. So it's a, it's a hugely exciting time to be, to be involved in it and um, yeah, just I think an area of, of great opportunity. And when you look at the size of the spend, you know, it's it, <laughs> generally problems that have got large price tags associated with them, get solved, um, you know, they, they, they become quite high on the priority list, but but only when you've got the right drivers in place because there's always something important to do for organizations. Um, but yeah, it's been a, been a crazy time over the last 18 months, two years. Um, I remember when the pandemic first kicked in and it was kind of like you know, Boris Johnson saying, we reckon three months. And uh, and I was I was chatting to a guy who was doing some advisory work um, with us at the time. And he was also doing some advisory work for the government, um, AI kind of specialist. And, um, and I remember him saying to me at the time, minimum 12 months, Johnny, minimum 12 months. The way this you'll have you'll have these basically peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs, peaks and troughs uh, dying off like that. He was pretty much spot on, but um, I'd like to think, hopefully, when it comes as, as far as the pandemic goes, I'd like to think that the whole world could start to move out of it relatively soon. But it's it's just so hard to predict, isn't it?
1: Yeah, you and I both, Johnny. Yeah, you and I both for sure.
0: Well, listen, I really appreciate your time, Party. That's some fantastic areas, really, really interesting. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I really appreciate your point of view. Um, So thanks very much for taking the time to join me and and share your opinions. And, um, yeah, exciting times ahead. And, uh, yeah, good luck with everything. And hopefully you and I can catch up again soon.
1: Thanks so much, Johnny. It was was great to catch up. Really enjoyed the conversation as always.
0: Brilliant. All right, I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.